I hope that you've had a good uh, last two to three to four to five to six weeks. Whenever you're, whenever all your Christmasing and all your Happy New Yearsing, you know, started. I hope that you had a good time of that. Hope that it's been a restful time. You know, we we had a good holiday uh, vacation or a good holiday break. You know, Samuel got a lot of toys. And uh, so he's got a lot of boxes now that he likes to play with, and that's been a lot of fun. Uh, we, took a, we took a little bit of a family getaway earlier this week up to Nashville, and so we spent a couple of days there. We went to the Nashville Zoo and hopped around with some kangaroos. They wouldn't let Samuel ride any of them, but eh, it's kind of it's okay, I guess. We uh, took, a, took a tour of the Opryland Hotel, for those of you who are familiar with that. I think, I think we spent more time at the Opryland Hotel than we did at the zoo. Because the place is just massive, has a giant water park in it, and, and just all sorts of, of uh, commodities and cool little shops and stuff like that. And then uh, we even walked down Broadway, and we, we walked down at an appropriate time of day, okay? And we found this little boot store, and we bought Samuel. Y'all, for those of you who like good deals, this is going to really get you, get you excited, right? Uh, we found a little boot store. That was basically like buy one pair of boots and get two pair of boots for free. Uh, it's all about whoa. So instead of you know me getting a pair, Hannah getting a pair, and Samuel getting a pair, we got Samuel three pairs of boots. That's right. Let him grow into those things. You know what I'm saying? So we had a lot of fun. I asked Hannah what her favorite part of the trip was, and her trip, her favorite part of the trip was uh, hopping around with the kangaroos. That was really cool. And uh. She's like, I didn't know you were going to say that. I'm sorry. Anyways, my favorite part was hanging out at the Opryland Hotel, and Samuel's favorite part was definitely crawling around the hotel room, getting into anything and everything that he could put his little tiny uh, human fingers on. So it was a lot of fun. This morning, as we think about the new year, you're going to see on the screen in just a moment a message titled, Come to Me, New New Year's resolutions. I'll have to come to me part out. You probably kind of figured that at the start of the new year, I would at least in passing mention something that Americans have been doing for a while now called New Year's resolutions. And so I want to tell you about the time, the last time I had a dedicated New Year's resolutions list. Just out of curiosity, does anybody in here do New Year's resolutions? Are at least over, like, let's say three or four years, have done a New Year's resolutions list. Anybody? Don't be ashamed. It's okay to raise your hand. Yeah. Okay, there's, there's a few of us in here. I read the statistic that, like, 46% of Americans have New Year's resolutions, and of those 46%, only 9% of them feel like they've actually succeeded in doing them. So, you know, they're, they're kind of hit and miss. But I want to tell you about my 2018 New Year's resolutions list. It was the longest one I ever had. It was the one I was most dedicated to. It lasted until March instead of February. I mean, it was crazy. I was super committed to it, right? Let me tell you what a few of my resolutions were that year. I wanted to read 50 books. And, like, not the little children's books either. Like, you know, some decent-sized books. I wanted to learn how to speak Spanish because I was going on a mission trip to Honduras that year. That's where I met Hannah. And uh, so I wanted to learn how to speak Spanish. I wanted to take up Brazilian jiu-jitsu. More on that in a second. I wanted to get a gym membership and get ripped. As you can tell, that didn't happen, right? And I wanted to learn how to cook something besides P. 
pizza rolls, and cereal. All right? So at the end, look, it lasted until March, right? At the end of 2018, I stumbled upon that list, and I was looking at it, and it sort of floored me how unaccomplished I was that year, at least in regards to my list, right? I started about 20 books that year. I think I finished like seven of them. I'm one of those guys that starts a book, gets about a quarter or halfway through, and then finds another book to start reading. So that's what I do. I bounce around a lot in books. I ended up downloading a great app on my phone for learning Spanish. I think it was the Rosetta Stone app. And I learned a grand total of three words from that app. I learned more Spanish in Honduras that week on the mission trip than I did from that app in a two and a half month time period. I took one class of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And for those of you who are like, just enjoy getting thrown around and getting twisted up into a pretzel, I highly recommend it. But I'm not one of those guys. I don't like being thrown around. I don't like being twisted up into a pretzel. And even though it was beginner class, the guy I was partnered with was like a black belt. And you know, when I'm walking onto the mat, this dude's over here like, oh yeah, fresh meat, you know? Someone I can whoop up on. And he whooped up on me. I got that gym membership for, uh, to uh, Fitness Depot there in Columbia, Mississippi. And I went twice that year. Paid for an entire year of membership. Colossal waste of money. And uh, I think it was that year that I burnt all the hamburgers that we grilled up for our youth at our house one, one night. So I didn't really learn how to cook that year either. Bit off way more than I could chew that year with resolutions. I did the four things that everyone says not to do when it comes to resolutions. I took on too many things. I didn't keep track of my progress. I didn't have anybody help me stay committed to the resolutions. And to be honest with you, I didn't keep them in front of me daily, so I just sort of forgot about the majority of them eventually. And maybe you've had that same experience as me. You know, since then, I've kind of backed off of doing resolutions. But, you know, I'm hopeful that maybe 2022 will be a little different for us this year. We were, the, some of the guys and I were sitting around talking about New Year's resolutions today. Uh, I think Moses asked me, you know, do you have any big plans this year? And my, my general answer to that is always, well, I want to love God more. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better father. That, those are my three-year resolutions for this year. We'll see how it goes, right? But regardless of your zeal for New Year's resolutions, or maybe your lack of zeal, I want us to kind of, as we look into the New Year, see some some resolutions from Scripture that I think well, you'll find helpful this morning. If you have your copy of God's Word, please open it up to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Now, the words are not going to be on the screen this morning, so you need to look on with somebody around you, maybe pull out your Bible app on your phone. But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to look at verses 28 through 30. So that's Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. This is something that we did in my last church. I want to do it here as well. Well, we did it with the, with the student ministry particularly, but I would like to do it here. We have this little thing where I say, if you are ready for the word, say word, okay? So we're going to try that, all right? We're going to group participation, first Sunday of the year, right? If you are ready for the word, say word. word. Ah, there it is. All right, y'all are great. All right. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for these next few moments that we have together to be able to look at your word. But my prayer is that throughout this message, our hearts would collectively rejoice in you. To be able to gaze upon you and go, wow, isn't he good? Isn't he great? Isn't he amazing? Lord, give us ears that hear this morning. Give us eyes that see. Lord, I pray that everything behind this pulpit said this morning would bring you honor and bring you glory. Thank you for the cross in which Jesus was crucified on our behalf so that we could have life in him. And it's in his name. Amen. Amen. So I'd like to offer to you three things this morning that I see, that I hopefully we'll all see together as we look at Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 to 30. The first resolution I'd like to offer that we see in the text is come to him. And I know that's, that's deep, right? You know, like you're expecting a whole sentence. I gave you a quarter of one. Come to him based off of verse 28. Jesus extends the invitation for his listeners to come to him. And notice how he describes them, though. He describes them as who all who are weary and heavy laden. He is speaking to people who are under extreme religious pressure to act and behave according to a certain way. And if they could conduct themselves a certain way, then, hey, they, they could be considered righteous before God. But these people that he was speaking to, they were sinners the same as you and I. They couldn't maintain the moral standard of the law that was presented in the Old Testament. And the people knew this, right? They, they had no illusions about their righteousness. They had no uh, illusions about their standing before the Lord, whether they could maintain these moral laws or not. They would strive towards right moral behavior and fall short time after time after time. And it was sort of like running a race in which the finish line just kind of kept getting pushed farther and farther back away from them. I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever ran a 5K. I've ran a few of them. Uh, nowadays, I just run from my problems. That's the only kind of running I do nowadays. But a couple of years ago, I did a 5K for a mud run. It's the No Turning Back Mud Run. It's a uh, kind of a, uh, a fundraiser for a mission scholarship that they put on. It's down there in, uh, it's one of the, the P towns, and not like the letter P in Mississippi. Uh, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. But anyways, we, we took a group down there, and we ran this mud run. If you don't know what a mud run is, it's 3.1 miles of mud and obstacles and absolute uh, uh, torture, basically, is to say. And as I was running this, this mud run, I just about halfway through, I'm like, this will never end. And you can kind of imagine with me, if you've, ever, if you've ever ran sort of any sort of distance whatsoever, you kind of get to that point in the race where you're like, when is this going to be over? And I just kind of imagine, like, what if I was running that mud run and the efficiency of that race just kind of kept taking the finish line and kind of moving it further and further and further away. And instead of just like it just being open ground, what if they just started adding obstacle after obstacle after obstacle between you and that finish line? That's sort of what's going on in the atmosphere of the day. You know, Matthew 23, verse 4 says, uh, in reference to the scribes and Pharisees, Jesus says, they tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. 
You know, these heavy burdens we think of are most likely a reference to the 613 commandments that Jewish rabbis had interpreted from the first five books of the Bible. These 613 commandments, which 365, 365 of the commandments were don't do this, and 248 of them were do this, make up kind of the structure for what was to be considered proper Jewish conduct by the Pharisees and really many of the Jewish rabbis over the years. So here are these Jewish people that Jesus is speaking to who lived under a a religious ruling class who held a strict moral and religious code of which they were not really trying to fulfill themselves, right? Who basically, these people had no hope of maintaining this code and attaining the righteousness that comes by living according to this law whatsoever. It's of little wonder why these folks were so weary and heavy laden. Could you imagine living each day of your life and trying to maintain hundreds of different laws for righteousness? And this is impossible for honest. So every day I kind of imagine the Jewish person would lie down to go to sleep and they would remember the ways that they'd sinned that day. And they would sort of add on to the burden on their shoulders of how much sin they were accumulating on a daily basis in their in their pursuit of what is righteous and what is good. And they would go to sleep with no hope for eternity, no hope of being in right standing with God. You can, you can imagine why these people are, are weary, why they are tired, and why they are heavy laden. You can, you can kind of you can see it, right? And then comes this prophet from Galilee, Jesus of Nazareth. This man who was born of a virgin, and he reveals just a few verses before that, 25 through 27, he reveals that he is from God the Father. And he says the words to them, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And what does he say? He says, I will give you rest. You know, as we move into the our time period today, we can no more give ourselves rest today by the works of our own hands than the Jews of that time period. See, Americans may not be striving towards keeping 613 Jewish commandments in order to find rest for their souls, but oftentimes we strive for it in other ways. Perhaps we think, if I can just get the level of income that I want, that I desire, then I can, I can find some rest finally. Maybe if I can just finish my college degree and get a great job, then I can finally get some rest afterwards. If I can just find the right person and marry that person, then I'll have some rest afterwards. If I can just make it past this week at work and get to the weekend, then I'll have some rest afterwards. If I can just get my kids to listen to me, then maybe I'll find some rest afterwards. If I could just get my candidate into office, then maybe we'll have some rest afterwards. If I can just break this bad habit, then maybe I can just get some rest Afterwards, if maybe I can just get my kids out of the house, married and moved out, then maybe I'll have some rest afterwards. Can I, can I let you in on just a little bitty secret, though? You will not find the true rest, rest for your soul, the rest that your soul needs outside of Jesus. The moment you think you've got what you wanted, you'll start searching for something else. Why? Because the thing you think you need may not be what you really need. 
what you really need in this life, you who are weary and heavy laden, is to come to Christ and find your rest. You need him to lift the weight of the guilt of your sin, to shoulder your sin. You need him to bear your burdens. And when you come to him, you bring every single part of you. You bring your sin, you bring your weaknesses, you bring your fears, you bring your burdens, you bring every part of you, and you come and lay it at his feet, and you surrender to him. That is the only place you will find rest. And when you do so, he will give you the rest that your soul truly desires. So our first resolution we see this morning was come to him. How does he, how does he do it, though? Well, I'm glad you asked, because I'm going to tell you this morning. He does it by placing you in his yoke, on his yoke. So following the format of a new New Year's resolution, here it is. The second one is this. You take his yoke. Verse 29, Jesus uses a description that his listeners would have been familiar with. He says, take my yoke. Now we're going to read the rest of the verse in just a moment, okay? But the yoke that he makes reference here is an agricultural reference. A yoke in biblical times would have been a heavy bar of wood that would go across the neck area of an oxen or oxen. That's the same word. All right. A yoke could have a spot for one oxen or two, and this yoke would be placed upon an oxen whenever it was time to plow a field. So you'd have two oxen. Most, more likely than not, you'd have two oxen. There's an older, stronger oxen who, who knows the... The, the voice of the one who is pushing the plow, who is one, the one who is behind the plow. And there's usually a younger, weaker oxen that kind of gets put on the yoke. And the younger, weaker oxen is kind of there to help bear the burden a little bit, but he's really there to learn from the older oxen what to do. They're, uh, they're then hooked up to this yoke together, and the plow will be set behind them. And then the farmer would guide the plow using these two oxen. Now, of course, I just described the reason a farmer would have a younger and an older oxen together simply because, again, because the older one knows the voice of the master and stronger can bear that weight, can bear that burden, and the younger one is just there to really tag along and learn. The stronger, older oxen would be able to steer the plow at the command of the master, while the weaker, younger one would be there to grow stronger, to learn the commands, and one day be able to take the place of the older oxen. This is all made possible by this yoke that is placed upon them. It keeps them together. So when Jesus tells the crowd of his listeners to take his yoke upon them, he is inviting them to take on the yoke in which he is on the other side of the yoke. He says in verse 30, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And the only way he can say that and it be true for his believers today is if he is the one who is on the yoke with us, bearing that weight, holding us up, hearing the commands of God and obeying them. See, the only thing that we bring to the yoke as believers is our weakness and our sin. What he brings to the yoke is forgiveness, strength, peace, and rest. Let me, let me offer some clarity here. There is another part to the yoke that I really haven't dived into yet, and we're going to get there in the, in the next point. But I really just want to try and make something abundantly clear for us this morning. The righteousness that saves sinners from the pits of hell comes only through the grace and mercy of God through the cross of Jesus Christ. That's it. He is not a way to righteousness. He is 
the way to righteousness. He is the way to forgiveness. He is the way to God. And this analogy of the yoke is only meant to convey the truth of how utterly central he is to the redemption of sinful men and women. Y'all, we cannot get there on our own. We absolutely, positively, without a doubt, need to be on that yoke with Jesus if we are ever going to have rest for our souls and peace in eternity. It is found nowhere else. Yeah, we, I took a vacation in Alabama a couple of years back. And uh, one, of the, one of the things that we did, my, my brother, my sister-in-law, they used to live in Trustful, Alabama, for those of you who are familiar with the state. Trustful is just east of uh, Birmingham. My sister-in-law was in residency there. And, and one, of the, one of the things that we decided we were going to do that week that I was there was we were going to go cave diving, also known as splunking, right? And, you know, for, for me, I'm kind of a small guy. I'm kind of like, I'm not very athletic. I'm not athletic at all, really. And I was thinking, man, yeah, we're going to go up to a cave. It's going to be like this big hole in the middle on the side of a mountain. There's going to be like lights. And there's going to be like kind of a touristy thing. You know, we'll pay $10 to enter in the cave. We'll walk around the cave, get some cool pictures, come, out, come on out, right? So I was like, yeah, that's kind of cool. We'll do that. We'll do that. So the next morning, we all get up, and there's a state trooper from Alabama who's accompanying us. Jason was, Jason's my brother. He's really good friends with him. The guy's name is John. And uh, we load up in John's car. We start driving. And about 20, 15, 20 minutes later, we pull over on the side of this random highway on the middle of nowhere. I mean, just utterly like, like this is like, there's a, there's a dairy pasture over here on the right, and there's just woods for miles on the left, right? I'm like over here like, is our tire flat? Like, what's going on here? And then they start to get out of the car. I'm like, oh, I better get out of the car with them. And they walk around to the back of the car, and they pop open the trunk. I'm like, oh, what's in the trunk? And there's helmets in the trunk. With flashlights on them. I was, I was kind of expecting that. But there was like, you know, I was like, okay, it's kind of cool. So we all get a helmet and a flashlight. And we walk about 35 yards into the woods. And in the, on the ground, there's a hole about four by six feet. And that hole, I kind of, you ever do that thing where if you're, if you're a little scared of heights, you want to kind of look over the edge, but you don't want to get real close. So you're just kind of like, I did that. And that hole was like a straight 30-foot drop. Just straight. And there was like a little rope kind of anchored to the ground that went down about 15 feet. And thankfully, there was a ladder there. And John and Jason are like, yeah, we're, we're going down in that hole. Uh-huh. What? The hole? Okay. All right. So I'm like clinging to this rope for dear life as I'm using my feet to maneuver down. We get in there. We walk around the cave. It was really cool. I got like this half shovel that I found in the cave. It's just covered in like old, you know, it's like, I don't hope it wasn't like a murder weapon or anything, you know, just randomly in this cave. But I brought that back out with me. And the reason I tell you this is because when we got to the end of our little excursion into this cave, we had to climb back out. And that was the thing that was always in the back of my mind the entire time we were in this cave. We got to climb back out. And so, like I told you, for the first Going back out for the first 15 feet, there's a, there's a ladder there. Okay, no problem. But then you have to like climb the rest of the way out using the rope and just rocks. Well, Jason and John are skilled rock climbers, so they climb up using their bare hands, and they, they just get up there like little monkeys. It's really cool. But Evan Sheridan has not done rock climbing outside of like at the fair where there's a harness on you. So all I had was, you know, my little helmet. I had my hands. I had this rope. 
And, you know, so Jason is kind of underneath me. John is above me. He's on the ground. And I climb up the ladder, grab this rope, start climbing up, and I get to the very top of it. And I put my foot on a, uh, on a little rock ledge, and I'm thinking, like, okay, I can do this. And then my leg starts to cramp. And I'm, like, just hanging on to this rock. Like, my head is above the hole. I can see John, and he's laughing at me. My leg is cramping. Jason is below me, and he's got his hand on, well, the, the, the more southern end of me, right? And he's kind of got his hand there, and he's kind of holding me. And I'm going, John, you gotta, you got to pull me up, dude. I'm not getting out of this hole. He's like, no, you can do it. Come on, man. Man up. You can do it. I'm like, John, you don't understand. My leg is cramping. I can't move. I think I'm going to fall. And he's like, no, man, you're good. You, you can do this. I'm like, John. Look at my face, John. If you don't grab me, I'm going to die. And John's like, what a sissy. And like reaches down, like grabs me by the nape of my collar and just yanks me up with one hand and sets me on dry, on the, on the on solid rock there. And I, I literally bend over and kiss the ground. I'm so, I'm so relieved, right? And you know, there's no telling though. Well, number one, I would not have been in a cave in Alabama if Jason and John hadn't been there. But somehow, if I'd ended up in this cave and I was trying to climb out of it, if Jason and John hadn't been there, there's no telling what really would have happened. You know, I wasn't getting out of there on my own, that's for sure. You might think, man, this guy's kind of pathetic. That might be a little pathetic. But the truth of the matter is, is that when it comes to our righteousness, guys, we can't even get, in, we can't even get to the edge of the cave. Jesus has got to, like, descend down into the depths of the cave. He's got to drag us out from the very back of the cave, and then he's got to repel up the hole with us on his back to get us to where we need to go. When it comes to having true rest and right standing before God, we're not getting there without Jesus. Pursue whatever you want. Take on whatever you want. Go for any job you want. Marry any person you want. Whatever, right? You're not going to find true rest outside of Jesus Christ. You're not going to find it. So far this morning, we've seen two resolutions. We've seen come to him, take his yoke. And third resolution for this morning is this. Learn from him. Learn from him. Verse 29, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What happens when you are on the yoke with Jesus? Why is the younger oxen yoked with the older? To learn how to listen to the master and obey his voice while being carried by the older. Folks, when you come to Jesus, he takes on the guilt of your sin and removes it from you. He washes you whiter than snow. He takes on your burdens. He bears you up before the Father despite your weaknesses, despite your sin. And if that wasn't enough, on that yoke with Jesus, he teaches you. You learn from him. And I, and I really love the implications of the, the yoke here. You know, I'm about, to, I'm about to bust out my pocket protector, get a little nerdy on y'all this morning, because the word here for learn is a really cool one. See, typically when we think about learning, or at least when I think about learning, my mind kind of goes to the classroom setting where there's a teacher or a professor, and they're kind of lecturing, and the students are sitting there, and they're listening, and they're hearing, and they're increasing in knowledge. And that's, that's certainly one way to learn. But there is another way that we learn and I think it fits the context of the yoke best. One of the ways the, the original word here is defined is to learn by use and practice. 
is not merely increasing in knowledge through hearing, it is increasing in knowledge by doing. And this is so cool because in the context of the yoke, the younger oxen wouldn't just drag its feet while the older oxen carried all the weight. The younger oxen carried by the older one would walk and step with the older one, learning once again, I'm, I'm really pushing this, how to listen to the master's voice and obey his commands as well as gaining strength. And this is sort of the other aspect of the yoke. There's an aspect of righteousness here in which Jesus does indeed bear all the weight. He takes on our sin. He carries us by the cross to a, right, to a place of right standing before God. The aspect of the yoke in terms of righteousness is all upon him. We don't carry any of that weight. Don't be, don't be confused by what I'm saying. I'm not saying you somehow add to your righteousness on the yoke. What I am saying is we carry a small part of the weight when it comes to say we learn from him. And the weight we carry is learning to obey the voice of God as we look at and as we see the example and the words of Christ that he has set forth for us. And part of the way we learn is by engaging in the work of the ministry of the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 reminds us, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 12 says, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. Our part of the, of the yoke and learning from Christ is engaging in the ministry and work of the church. There, there is a broad aspect of ministry here in which we as believers leave the gathering, go into the world, and make the gospel known through our words and our actions. We love God and we love our neighbor. We take care of the sick. We take care of the widows and orphans. We talk to people about Jesus. There's also an aspect of this in which believers serve within the body of Christ. If I, if I could do a shameless plug here for Harvest Church Ministries, one, approximately one-third of our demographic here at Harvest Church is six years old and under. It's kind of wild when you think about it. Most churches, is only like 10%. We have a whopping 33% of our congregation is very small children. And because of that, we need people to serve in those children's ministries. We need people to say, you know what, I only like kids half the time, but this is where the work of the church is needed, and I love God, and I want to love my neighbor. And so, Evan, sign me up for D groups. Evan, sign me up for the nursery. Sign me up for those babies. Let them spit up on me, Evan. That's kind of what we need, right? That's one way in which you can engage in the work of the church here at Harvest to serve the Lord, to come alongside Christ and learn from him. So it means rocking babies and playing with toddlers, which is really cool. I mean, let's be honest, they're great. It could also mean serving in a check-in station for our kids' ministry. It could also mean greeting people as they come through the doors of our church. It could mean leading a discipleship group on Sunday mornings or a Bible study in your home. It could be just picking out the guests in the crowd and helping them to feel more at home here. Tell them where the bathrooms are. Tell them where the kids' stuff is. Tell them, where, hey, point them to where the sanctuary is, right? It means giving to the work of the church and mission efforts. Y'all, I was utterly blown away by our missions giving the past couple weeks. 
What, what did we land at? Was it 11,000 at the end of it all? 11,500? Um, I certainly don't say this to disparage any church I've ever been a part of, but for this size of a congregation to give $11,000 to mission works is awesome. We were, we were doing half that at a church twice as large as Harvest. I mean, that's, I just want to applaud you for that. That's incredible. Thank you. That's part of how we engage in the work of the church to the ministry of the body. We give. We give our time. We give our resources. And I'll say this, over the course of 2022-2023, our hope is that the ministries of Harvest are going to be expanding and growing. There will be plenty of opportunities here for you to get involved. Whether it be student ministry, whether it be some more missions work, whatever the case may be, there is coming a time in the future at Harvest where there will be opportunities for you to get involved and serve the Lord here. And that is part of the way that you learn from Jesus by being on the yoke with him, serving his body. As we serve within the body of the church, that learning by use of practice, Jesus is helping us to do so. And all these things, the glory of the Father and the growth of his church, it's a privilege for us to be able to serve the Lord. We don't, we don't deserve to be able to serve him. None of us could ever earn it. We don't get there by our own merit, right? We don't deserve to serve the greatest organization the world will ever know. We get to do it because Jesus has called us to it. Because he brings us in and he saves us. And, and I love the reminder we get here from Jesus. He says in verse 29, Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You know, name a professor or teacher who says that today. A teacher gives an account of why they should be learned from. Being gentle and humble in heart doesn't necessarily make the list, does it? Usually it's, well, I have this degree, or I have this many years of experience, or I read 49,000 books every year on this subject. Like, you know, it's, it's somehow we, we just tell of ourselves why we are worthy to teach, right? But here is Jesus inviting us to learn from him, inviting us to take the yoke on, from, uh, with him, on him, from him. And he says the reason why is, for I am gentle and humble in heart. What a stark contrast this would have been to the ruling religious class of their day. He is not a harsh taskmaster. He is not the boss cracking the whip over your head. He's not sitting on the throne in heaven with a lightning bolt ready for you to mess up. He isn't just waiting for you to screw up so he can get you. He's gentle and humble in heart. He bears with you as we labor. I find the 23rd Psalm to be appropriate here. David writes the words, Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He is gentle and patient with us. 
knowing our weakness, knowing our faults, knowing where we fall short, maybe time and time and time again, and still despite us, despite our mess-ups, despite our failures, despite all those things, loving us and calling us His own. He leads us as his people beside still waters. And as our shepherd, he leads and guides us as a body of believers. I want to really just try and press this home with us. We have a shepherd, a great shepherd, who is in the mud and the blood with us. He is with us when we are experiencing the joys of life at the fullest. And he is with us when we are experiencing the pains of life at their uttermost. When we have much, the shepherd is there. And when we have little, he's still there. And this morning, here at Harvest Church, I want to invite you into his rest. These new New Year's resolutions have been presented to you. And now I would ask that you respond as the Lord leads you. Come to him. Take his yoke and learn from him. And in doing so, you will find the rest that your soul so desperately needs. It is no secret that we as a people, generally speaking here, that we are more anxious, more depressed, more frustrated, more tired than we've ever been before. And the younger generations that are below us are 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 worse off than even what we are. And the hope for this generation, for my generation, for your generation, for the, the generations of our children and our grandchildren, it will not be in more money. It will not be in more stuff. It will not be in more social status, more popularity. It will not be in this political party or that political party. It will be only found in Jesus Christ. And this morning, This morning I invite you to come to his rest. Surrender all to him. Lay it all down at his feet. Trust in him with everything that you are. And because his word says so, not because of what Evan Sheridan says, but because his word says so, you will find rest. Would you pray with me? Lord, we say thank you for who you are for your grace, for your mercy, for the way that you love us and you care for us, knowing, Lord, that we don't, we don't bring anything to the table of our own merit. What we, what we have is what rejects us from the table. But, Lord, because of your grace, because of your mercy, because you are gentle, humble, you invite us in despite who we are, And you call us your children. You love us. Lord, our prayer is that this morning, my prayer this morning, is that the heartbeat of your church, of the people in this room, would be one that knows that they are loved by you, that knows that you have called them to you, And Lord, that you are with them as their shepherd every step of the way, that you are on the yoke 
with us. Bearing our weight, bearing our sin, carrying us through. And Lord, I pray that this morning we would find rest in that. That we would find comfort. That we would have peace. Lord, in these next few moments, as we stand and sing to respond, I pray, God, that you would have your way with this place. To your glory, to your honor, in Jesus' name, amen.